0: This is Airwaves by Aviation Trader, your complete aviation marketplace, with your hosts, Steve Bisher and Graham McCarran.
1: Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to part three of our fantastic chat here with Steve Padgett, Steve Padgett OAM, in fact, uh, you know, Australian uh, aviation business icon, really. Uh, here on the uh, Airways podcast. I'm Steve Visher and Grant McCarran. We've uh, had such a great time talking to Steve uh, through this chat about his history uh, starting various businesses and now uh, in this edition he's going to tell us all about moving on and starting the successful Alliance Airlines.
0: He certainly is mate. We're going to cover Alliance from Foundation. There's some amazing stories in here. I tell you what mate, we could have spoken to Steve for a very long time. The man has so many amazing stories and that, that's not unsurprising given his uh, experience. The breadth of experience he's got in aviation in the asia pacific area so uh really looking forward to this but also not just uh alliance and his other current aviation businesses but also the non-business side of what he does for aviation here in australia And it's funny because you say about you know, airlines on the eastern side and if we had something major in the middle, but you seem to have made that happen with Alliance, uh, not so much with with airline, but more with FIFO. Uh, can you tell us about starting up Alliance? Where, where did that inspiration come from?
2: Well, the interesting part about Alliance was, is, and I did mention earlier, that I'd known Sir Dennis Buchanan, uh, who had Flight West and, or built up Flight West in Queensland uh, Scott McMillan was his company secretary and of course had a good relationship with them by buying and selling aeroplanes with them or to them and um, so when Ansett of course went down, um, so did Flight West because it was also tied to Flight West as Sunshine Express was, sorry to Ansett, as Sunshine Express was and uh, aligned with that unfortunately Sir Dennis got quite ill and and passed away so the airline, um, through nobody's fault, uh, went into administration. And I was tasked by the the uh, owner of, they had two Fokker 100s at that point, which were leased by my finance company. She, and the boss of that finance company was a, a very good friend and a good business, um, someone I had done a lot of business with financially. And he said to me, would you sell these aeroplanes for me? Uh, we've got to get out of these aeroplanes now. Flight West has gone down. I said, yes, I will. And the the administrator was also someone I knew. And he came to me and said, Steve, we want to sell the AOC and the guts of Flight West. Uh, would you please sell it for us? So I had two challenges there. And what I found out in the early stages of trying to do that was that the only people wanting to buy it were people who were going to break it up. They'll sell the airplanes. They'd sell the equipment. They'd lease the hangar. They'd, you know, blah 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 blah. But they weren't going to employ 70 people who are left at Flight West. Yeah. And I kept arguing with the administrator. I said, "This is not right. We've this. This is an aviation company that is still alive. Don't kill it by selling it to these people." And so he said, "All right. Well, you buy it." And I said, "Well, I. I what do you mean, me buy it? I." I They haven't got that sort of money. He said, well, you know, you you are the ideal person to buy it. We'll sell it to you and we'll do you a good deal in the interest of the the, um, shareholders or the the, um, uh, people involved in Flight West and um, you do it. So I said, okay, well, I've got some money. So just in one day, I rang three people I knew wouldn't query what I was doing. Uh, one was one was in New Zealand, a fellow called Hugh Jones, who owned Airworks, which is a big helicopter company. Yep. Another was a fellow called Stephen Bond, who was Bond Helicopters in the UK. And, of course, Scott. Now, Scott was the company secretary who was working for ANSET. So Scott and I got together, and basically between the two of us, um, I, I'd rung these people who are personal friends as well as business associates of mine and said, I, I need X amount of money from you by Friday and we're going to buy what's Flight West and turn it into something that's really going to do something. Are you in? And they said, yeah, I guess so, if you think so. (laughs) And I tell you, it wasn't a substantial amount of money. Um, And that's how it started. So um, we managed to release the two Fokker 100s from um, a company called Capital Finances, it was in those days. And um, and the receiver was um, made sure that we did the right thing, but we had the opportunity to, to kickstart the the airline. We, we were then operating the two Fokker one hundreds and a couple of Brazilians, but it became very clear that Brazilians were losing money. And we had one major contract, which is where you started the question here. It was which were FIFO contracts in Western Australia, and so we were in the back of the FIFO business with two F one hundreds. And away we went. Um, wow! Alliance, alliance was named. I had a little personal company called Alliance Aviation, and I liked the word alliance because it meant, you know, friends of people. We're we we partners. We're we're all all of those things. Let's call it alliance. And everyone said, "Yep, whatever you like," and, um, so, and so it was born. And off we went. Um, and I can, I guess, the if you'd like me to continue that story. Um, the first major and, and part of our success was um, that we, we kept those 70 or 80 people. That was the first major thing that really worked for us. And they were the most loyal, wonderful, fantastic people. They kept going. And today, we still have a number of those people working for us after 19 years.
0: That's pretty good um, in aviation.
2: Including pilots, um, who who uh, have just been fantastic. So we, the the next one we started to run into, out of airplanes, and, uh, and of course buying Fokkers in those days wasn't easy because they were fairly expensive. And by chance, we uh, a friend of ours in the United States who was a broker, uh, who was known to us and knew us, um, knew the, knew some airplanes that were owned uh, by. Uh, uh, an airline, I won't use the name anyway, by American Airlines uh, that had gone broke, but it ended up being owned by the uh, superannuation group in Alabama. So, in other words, they'd gone broke. There were a number of seven, seven exactly, if uh, F-100s for sale, um, and but they're owned by this this superannuation fund in Alabama. So we rang them and said we'd like to buy them. And they said, well, how much are you going to offer? He said, well, we, we'd probably like to meet you and talk to you about that. I said, well, come on over and you can talk to us. Again, cut a long story short. Myself, Scott, and our very good friend, the best lawyer, aviation lawyer in Australia, Ben Martin, um, went went to Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, I never heard of Montgomery before this, uh, <laughs> even though it is the capital.
1: Yes, it is. Um,
2: you've, got to go to, you've got to go to Atlanta and drive. But the interesting part about this story is the bloke we happened to meet was the uh, attorney general of Alabama. And uh, he was in a big bank building in Montgomery. Now, Montgomery is an interesting town. It looks like it sort of died. It's it's just doesn't, doesn't seem to have a lot going on. But anyway, he directed us to this top floor of this bank building in Montgomery, Alabama. And when we get there, we said, oh, this is just as you would expect. It was southern, southern, all southern, everything. And his office was probably as big as my hangar. Uh, in surface area, and had braces and, you know, a well-built gentleman behind the biggest desk you've ever seen in your life and said, well, welcome, gentlemen. Um, You're here to buy our aeroplanes. What's the deal? And we said, well, um, we'd sort of like to talk to you about it. He said, I'll tell you what, before before we do talk about it, why don't you tell me about Alliance? Tell me how you started it, who you are, what's your background's, I told him what, you know, what I'd done. He kept asking questions. Scott told him what he'd done and, um, how he was an accountant for Dennis and Dennis died and the flight west. And Ben, of course, has been around for a long time as an aviation lawyer and was telling him that he, he, you know, could guarantee that we were good people and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, so he said, okay, so your offer is, and, uh, we said, well, that's the catch. We actually haven't got any money, um, and we'd like to talk to you about financing our aeroplanes, these aeroplanes for us. And he said, well, that wasn't the deal. That wasn't the way you come over here, you, you know. Um, but, you know, let's talk some more. And, Scott, did you bring uh, a whole lot of accounts of things for Alliance? We bought a briefcase full of papers, but it wasn't anything spectacular. Um, and we didn't tell him that. But uh, cut long story short, in the end, he said, look, I'm going to bring in all my accounting people. We brought them all in. There was about 10 of them. He said, these are the gentlemen from Australia wanted to buy, buy our airplanes. And they all went, yes, but I'd love to meet you. And they left. And we thought, this is funny. Why are they leaving? He said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, "I we do things on face value with good people. We'll finance airplanes for you sight unseen. Wow. So he didn't know us, of us except for what we told him. Uh, he'd obviously done some checking. And he financed the, – or the, the um, state of, of Alabama financed those aeroplanes for us on very good terms. He told us, he said, guys, don't miss any payments. We'll come and get you. Um, <laughs> uh, um, so that made us very committed. Uh, and at the end of the day, he wrote us a lovely letter. Uh, we paid those aer- seven aeroplanes off, um, and Alliance owns all its aeroplanes. We don't finance aeroplanes. We own them all, all 42 of them yeah? now. He said, he wrote his love letter saying, you guys lived up to everything you've done and everything you've did and you're men of your word. And that's what we like here in the United States. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier about a different attitude to people. So that's how sure. we got going.
1: You know that's an interesting thing, Steve. And uh, you know it's it's such a success story at Alliance because you know as you say, forty two aircraft now, quite an impressive route network for a smaller carrier here in in this part of the world. We see so many start up with with all the best of intentions and and don't seem to last. I guess uh, you know JetGo is probably the most recent uh, example of that, where for all the best will in the world, it hasn't worked. So what brings that sort of success? How have you survived when others have not?
2: Look, I think it's I think it's a number of things. Um, firstly, within the company. We've now got from those seventy five, eighty people, we've now got you know approximately five hundred, five, fifty people. Um, uh, they're all very good people who love working for the business. That's the first you know, thing you need to to have is very good people and very enthusiastic people and working for you. Second part is we we have a philosophy of buying pre-owned aeroplanes. Um, we often competed with the other airlines. Uh, for FIFO jobs, where they were selling very hard against us because we owned older F-100s and F-70s. Um, that has proven to be wrong because both those airlines now own Fokker 100s, um, up to 15 by one airline and I think about 10 on the other, of which we, by the way, sold some of them. <laughs> so to, so um, uh, that doesn't necessarily work. Um, so it's buying airplanes at the right price, um, at the right conditions, and not having to borrow money to get them. So as I mentioned earlier, none of our airplanes are financed and we own them all. Um, we also have, thirdly, was an engineering facility capable of doing the amount, the work that's needed to keep them in the air on a daily basis and also um, on the more higher level maintenance. Um, which we partly do, by the way, overseas now, um, and that's the reason for that is simply that their rates are so good in Europe uh, in the off season for them, for their airlines. That and they're very experienced. That's uh, a Latanzo uh, company. Um, they're very experienced with Fokker 100s. That it's sometimes easier and cheaper and more economic and faster to have the airplanes maintained overseas. So there's that. And uh, it's not be, it's being sensible about not not cutting prices, not um, not being silly about putting tenders in. Um, we we keep, uh, very serious consider our tender prices. We make sure they're fair and reasonable. But if you undercut them, you're going to go broke. Yeah. Um, one of the other factors is predominantly our contracts involve around the. The uh, customer paying for fuel so we take no risk with fuel Um, and lastly we have our engines are under programs uh, so our risk to do with engine operation or maintenance is minimised lastly what we had to do when FIFO started having difficulties um, not FIFO itself but the mining industry um, which minimised FIFO we managed to move into the uh, airline business by building up an association with both Qantas and Virgin. And um, in particular, Virgin, we have a wonderful relationship with, uh, particularly operating around Queensland. And we're now operating internationally for them. Uh, Port Moresby is a good example. We fly to Port Moresby for Virgin three times, three or four times a week. We're going to the islands. Um, so... Um, we by spreading our business over a wider business activity, if you like, we've minimised any downturn now in the FIFO business, which, by the way, is growing back again. So, so all in all, um, it's it's really keeping the costs down, um, operating aeroplanes that are that are that are economic, uh, but still modern, um, and having a great team of people.
1: That's uh, one of the questions I was going to ask you, the uh, the longevity, I guess, going forward of the Fokker 100, it's, I guess, in some ways, an ageing design now. Um, how do you see that going forward?
2: Well, we don't see it as an ageing design, fairly enough. It's the, the cockpit equipment, for a start, is, is right up to date. There's nothing that a modern aeroplane has that we don't have in our aeroplanes. You might say the airframes are getting older. Most of our aircraft are 1996, 1997 model airplanes, Um, but they're still uh, we we um, we still find them very very uh, economical to operate. But more importantly, we have probably one of the biggest spare holdings for Fokker aircraft in the world. We don't have the only the biggest fleet in the world. With every time we buy airplanes, we buy spares and we buy Mm -hmm. tooling. So we have a, a a very large holding of spares. I think it's probably roughly about $50 million worth of spares, US dollars worth of spares, um, and that includes undercarriages, all sorts of equipment. So we're able to keep those aeroplanes operating economically and support them very, very well. We also support Qantas and Virgin um, when need be. So that, that means that we can keep operating as long as we want to, Having said that, we will always consider and are always thinking of what the future holds and we're planning for that at some point. But where that is, it could could even be it could be two years away, it could be five years away, it could be theoretically ten years away, because we know the airplanes will last that long.
0: That's a very handy buffer to have, and uh, mate. Speaking of longevity and uh, and centenaries and things like that, you know, being in for the long haul, uh, I understand you're going to paint one of your uh, fokkers to uh, commemorate the the great air race of 1919 from uh, London to Australia.
2: Yes, of course. That's the second aircraft we did uh, Kingson Smith to commemorate his the 90th anniversary of his trip from um, uh, United States to Australia. So you'll still see um the that airplane flying around australia it's mostly in west australia at the moment but it has smithy on the tail um it's got the airplane his airplane painted on the side uh, and at the same time we launched a beer um uh we thought <laughs> let, let's funnily enough not many people were doing anything the people who should have been doing something to commemorate this trip the smithy didn't do anything or haven't done anything so we decided um we would um We've we painted aeroplane for for Smithy and commemorate that trip, and actually did that and landed in Brisbane, to the to the minute that Smithy landed his aeroplane. That was last year, uh, nice. so we've already done that. And our beer, by the way, is called FGB, Fucking Good Beer. <laughs> um, uh, named after the Fokker, of course. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, but that, that beer is enjoyed by our passengers around Queensland uh, when they're on that airplane. Uh, so the second one, of course, the, S- the Smith brothers, who who um, uh, did that trip London to Darwin, uh, are also we think very worthy of commemoration. Uh, and we are the airplane will be painted, and it will turn up to the minute when the uh, Smith brothers and the two engineers landed uh, in Darwin.
0: That's excellent. That, that is really excellent because that, yeah, flying a Vickers Vimy all the way down um, back in nineteen nineteen was was very impressive. So uh, well done for uh, having the aircraft painted and commemorating. And also, yeah, as a an avid beer drinker, I'm going to have to see if I can find that FGB to buy. <laughs> is it only available on your flights?
2: I will send you. I will send you some.
0: Oh. That would be ace. I, I love drinking and rating beer, yeah. so I'd be very mate, careful um, offering
1: him that, Steve. Be very careful. You'll go broke. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I said I'd said some.
1: <laughs>
2: Excellent. that <laughs> might That's be cool. one or two now. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, thinking of my mental health. Thanks, Steve. No, <laughs> no problem. So, mate, uh, you've got Alliance doing well. Uh you know, you've you've weathered uh, the the dips and rises of FIFO. You've got uh, you know a, a good little airline there going as well around the FIFO uh, work. You've got, you know, the, um, I believe Qantas has just bought in for nineteen point nine percent, which I understand there's lots going on there, so we can't really cover that, but that's indicative of, of the success going on. And you're uh, not too long ago, you sold Aeromil to uh, Hawker Pacific. Uh, so you you you've Done a lot of amazing work that we've talked about so far and and you know for many people that would that would be it that's that's amazing stuff and let's take a break and have a relax but no you're you're still going very very strong you've got a number of your other invest um, interests you've got uh, flight options universal training systems sjp aviation to name but three that we're aware of you, you're still right in there and very much involved in the aviation business uh What's your intentions behind these ventures? Uh, I understand it's focusing on flight training. You're introducing people to aviation and so on. Uh, is, is this uh, because you, you just can't stay quiet? Or is this, you know, you've got to have something to do? Or uh, what, what are you trying to gain with with all of these um, current ventures?
2: Well, uh, there's a little of that. But the major one was when I sold um, uh, AirMail to Hawker uh, Pacific, uh, I kept, I retained some of my other businesses, one of which was the Singapore Airlines and that's, by the way, in it itself was a, is a great story that um, uh, bringing Singapore Airlines to Australia uh, for training was a we we're very proud of doing that and building a great facility. Unfortunately, they had to move back to Singapore for internal reasons after 15 years, but a great story. But they built a beautiful facility here uh, under our direction and, and, and were involved in it, which was a simulator uh, facility and training centre. And I always hope that one day... Uh, if they did move, uh, that I would end up with it. And subsequently I did. I purchased it back from them together with the four uh, Mustang aircraft and two Citation Mustang simulators. Um, And I I wanted that to be sort of, I guess, a major project towards the end of my career uh, that I wanted to develop. And the major part of that is that uh, whilst we've got the simulator side going, um, we're currently... We do training for the Royal Flying Doctor Service. We do training for the um, Royal Australian Air Force. We've done training for the Royal Malaysian Police. Uh, we do training for a whole lot of other smaller King Air operators around Australia. And we do training for uh, Mustang owners um, all over the place. But, um, and incidentally, this week we've now got a contract to train um, uh, Egyptian. A, a, a whole lot of egyptian pilots on the mustang um, wow. they're, 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 yeah so that's a business that we didn't want to see a simulator center as good as this one go to waste the flying training side of thing is one that i've always been a bit distressed about in that we, we i saw all these flying schools all over the place training pilots in the hope that these young people would get jobs sorry, not the hope by the flying school, but the hope by the individuals. But the flying school's not carrying two hoots, and that's probably a generalisation I shouldn't make, about the end result. You know, what are these young people going to do? They're going to get enthusiastic about flying and then have no jobs. You know, quite a set up one for themselves, and so uh, so do other airlines and so on. But there are a lot of people out there, a lot of young men and women who want to learn to fly, want to get a job, as pilots and other other things in aviation. So, my aim is, and we're already doing it. And we've currently got about twenty students. Um, the first five, um, uh, our, our aim was to at least for the first five, but more afterwards, is to ensure they had a job after they finished training. So we're you know pleased and proud to say that the first five will go to Alliance Airlines um, as tra- as uh, either the airline. Um, we've we've found them intermediary jobs in between so they can get some experience and build up their hours. Because sometimes we have flight hour limitations on our pilots oh, associated with FIFA. But we wanna see we wanna train people and see young men and women get jobs at the end and they don't have to worry about it all the way through there training period. Um, that's increasing. As I said, we've now got 20. We're, we're, we're trying to find opportunities. Uh, Tim um, Holland, who runs the flying school, a, a terrific young bloke with a lot of experience, um, He, he we're, we're both going around talking to people, uh, particularly in the general aviation area, who have smaller airlines, if you like, and saying, you know, we'll train them for you. You tell us what you want, the sort of person you want, you come down and we'll, we'll, we'll select some people, you interview them, and then um, at the end of the day, they'll come to you. So you can be part of the, both the selection and training process. But all this is to ensure that people who want to learn to fly and and have them, I mean, some haven't got the money to, to do it. Most of these people we've got are being funded by their parents or grandparents or or, or, or whatever. We also want to find the really passionate kids or young men and women for Who haven't got the money but do have the passion. And uh, that's what I want to end up doing.
0: And that's, that's fantastic that you're doing that because, it, as you're saying, it is what we need. We need to get more people into flying. And and it's great that there's people out there who want to fly and have this opportunity through what you're doing. And uh, you know, all of this, plus you're also uh, still involved with cadets, which brings us right back to where you started. You you started with Air Training Corps, which has now, um, now that it's being resurrected, it's now the cadets, very much involved with the raf they've recently bought a whole lot of gliders uh and some powered aircraft and uh were you involved at that time when uh, i believe it was um uh, former ca- chief of air force jeff brown started reno- uh, reinvigorating cadets with with gliders and fixed wing was that were you involved at that point no
2: interesting enough um i got involved um I do remember when Jeff Brown did um, did initiate the gliders, which was a great thing. But I um, am also chairman of the Aviation Hall of Fame, and um, I part of what I felt was my responsibility was to have the Air Training Corps and what is now the Air Force Cadets recognised. So we inducted the um, Air Force Cadets into the Hall of Fame yep. um, to recognise, particularly. The amount of people who have given their free time, um, that's the reservists and, and civilians and a whole lot of others, uh, into getting keeping the air training corps going and then keeping the Air Force cadets going. There's a lot of people, particularly uh, you know, airline pilots and others, who donate their time to the cadets. And that in itself is fantastic. So that's that's how I inducted um, them into their hall of fame. And it was that at that induction, they asked me, "Would I please come onto the onto <laughs> the, um, council, the council for the Air Force Cadets to help them further develop?" Um, the uh the cadet program
0: well it certainly is going in leaps and bounds which is great to see because that's that i mean not everyone winds up going into the air force but a lot of people come out of cadets around the world not just um our own one but i've seen it in, in the uk and other places with cadets where uh you know some will go military but some will wind up going civilian and uh, others just wind up you know staying in ga because they absolutely love it but uh Mate, the uh, you you touched on there about the uh, aviation hall of fame. Uh, You started that up. What was it about five years ago that started?
2: Yeah, that was started um, a a little bit longer than that. About five, yeah. Jeez, I think it's almost been going a little longer than that. But uh, I only came in several years after it started. It was founded by Chris Manning, uh, who was the ex Qantas chief pilot, and Paul Tyrrell, who. Uh, mm-hmm. Paul's involved uh, in a whole lot of things We probably know Paul um, yep. but both very good people um, they initially established at Wagga, um, and uh, Alderby sort of asked me would I be chairman um, which I was happy to do and since that time uh, we've actually moved it to Haas um, in yeah. uh, Wollongong at the Albion Park field and um, the reason for that was um, you know A hall of fame is basically about people, cars is basically about aeroplanes, so they complement each other. So, we've managed to do a deal with Haas, who is a very well run, fantastic organization, um, to get our own space there. And right at the moment, we're um, building, um, we're we're planning to build a display area um, which will. uh, demonstrate to everyone and show everyone what the Hall of Fame is all about. So there'll be a story about all the inductees we've inducted over the years and, um, and memorabilia and all that sort of stuff. Um, this year, we're having the induction ceremony at the uh, uh, War Museum in Canberra. Um, so, uh, and that's because, um, I, oh, I can't announce that yet, but there'll be <laughs> inductees there who are relative to the uh, to the war museum so um, but uh, so that's in November uh, but every uh, mostly we'll be doing our induction ceremonies at at the haas facility because it's surrounded by aeroplanes people want to see aeroplanes um, yep. they want to celebrate what individuals have done for aviation in Australia but they also want to want to be around aeroplanes and we're we're delighted that between Haas and Ahoff, we can combine
1: the two. Steve, we could talk for so many more hours about uh, so many things about your history here. Unfortunately, time is getting the better of us. I just wanted to wrap up by uh, congratulating you on a recent award. Your, uh, I guess, 50 years, a lifetime spent in the aviation industry here was uh, recognised this year with an Order of Australia medal.
2: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, thank you very much for that. Um, uh, I was quite a surprise and uh, delighted to receive that Um um, a lot of my peers were involved in it. I'm still looking for some of them. Um, but um, it, it, was, it was a wonderful thing. And it, it really, uh, as I keep saying to people, and I know everyone says this, but it's all about you know, passion and enjoying what you do, the people that work with you. And I, I love coming to work every day. Uh, I love seeing people, meeting people. Um, I love walking over the flying school and seeing these young people uh, brighten you know, ready to go, and it's just fantastic. And then and I grab the broom and go and sweep the hangar. That keeps me busy when I'm not, not doing that.
0: <laughs> and brings you right back to where you were as a young commercial pilot yourself, sweeping the hangar.
2: Exactly, exactly. I often I, I do a talk every now and again at the uh, University of New South Wales to the, to the young people going through a degree course in aviation, and I tell them, you know, unless they're prepared to go out and sweep the hangar, don't bother coming into this business.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's very true.
1: Well, Steve Padgett, it's been such an honour to talk to you today. We really appreciate it, and thanks so much again for your time.
2: Absolute pleasure, and thanks for taking the time to uh, chat with me.
1: Well, as you mentioned at the top of the episode, Grant, and I think as I said there right at the end, uh, boy, we could have talked to Steve for hours. Um, What great stories. And and I really hope our listeners have really enjoyed listening to such uh, a positive aviation journey, really.
0: Oh, totally, mate. It's been quite the career. Still going strong. So many achievements. And it sounds like he's uh, got so many more achievements that he wants to attain. So uh, still very much the man in the middle of all the action. And uh, great to hear that he's still willing to pick up a broom and sweep out a hangar. That's just
1: fantastic. I was going to say, wasn't that just the, that was really just topped it all off for me. That's, um, you know, that's really getting down and and, and doing what matters. And, you know, in many ways leading by example. And I, I wish there was just a bit more leadership like that in our industry. And I hope listening to chats like this inspires the next generation of leaders to uh, you know, to take up that example.
0: I certainly hope so, mate, because uh, Steve's doing some wonderful things for aviation. And the more people doing wonderful things, the better aviation becomes.
1: Folks, Aviation Trader's got its brand new website up. Make sure you check that out at aviationtrader.com.au. The free call number any time, of course, to do any business with the magazine, 1-800-025-776. And Grant... If people want to drop us a line, and we're always open to suggestions for uh, topics people might like to cover, people they might like to talk to, and any feedback on the podcast, and indeed the new website, that's admin at aviationtrader.com.au. Grant, uh, we'll be back very soon with another edition of this fine podcast, Airwaves. Looking forward to it, mate. Airwaves is the official podcast of Aviation Trader,
0: and part of the publication's comprehensive array of digital content. If you're passionate about aviation, stay connected at aviationtrader.com.au
1: for the latest podcasts, news, blogs and more.